Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, good morning, friends. I've always wanted to preach at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro, and today that dream has been fulfilled. Praise be to God. Welcome. Really grateful that you're here for joining us online. Special welcome to you all. So my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just a joy to have you with us. Um, I, I love summer, and one of the highlights of my summer over the last three years has been to take my boys backpacking. We go with a, another of a, a number of other dads and their sons, and something unique just happens when people get out on the backpacking trail together. And one of the things that, that I love to do is um, make, uh, not gourmet meals out on the backpacking trail, but I, I like to make meals that are better than expected out on the backpacking trail, which is fun because everything tastes good when you're in the wilderness. Like if you've been on a long enough backpacking trip, Top Ramen tastes amazing. <laughs> but I, I like to take things to the next level. So I'll like, I'll bring like a family size jar of Cholula and like pass it around. I'm bringing, this year I'm bringing bacon to put into our cheesy mashed potatoes. I, I'll carry like cans of chili, which I know you're supposed to go light. I know you're not supposed to do that, but I don't care. I break all the rules because it's worth it when we sit down to dinner and everybody else is jealous. That's worth it. This year, this year, I was doing some research to try to figure out how to take things to the next level, and I stumbled across a website called thewildernesschef.com. And oh my goodness, it was amazing. So there's this guy you can hire to come cater a gourmet meal for you out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, check that out. So I hired this guy, and he's going to come. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. Wouldn't that be great though? I just show up, there's this guy walking right behind me and then we sit down to dinner and everybody else is like, thewildernesschef.com. And I just thought, man, what an amazing thing to combine. Two things that I love, the outdoors and food. Praise be to God. Have you noticed how there's so much traction around like all things foodie? Like how many TV shows are there about food? I mean, just, just a few. I mean, there's tons, but you could watch Hell's Kitchen or Next Level Chef. Or this week, my daughter introduced me to a show called Is It Cake? Has anyone seen this? Where people bake cakes that look like objects that you'd find in real life. Like, so we watched one where they baked a cake that looked like a printer. Like, what? And you couldn't tell. I mean, you, you could eat your printer. It's that, it's that close, right? And I read this article this week also that said on TikTok this year, there are four times the amount of videos that are hashtag private chef than there were last year at this time. So that's, that's trending amongst the rich and famous. They are now hiring, or not now, but now they are broadcasting that they're hiring private chefs to come in to their opulent spaces, pull from their herb garden and create something beautiful that we get to experience on video. And so, but to be fair, to be fair, I think there's something sacred about a good meal, isn't there? I mean, there's something holy about gathering around a table with good food, good drinks, good fellowship, that something happens, like an overlap of heaven and earth seems to happen around a really, really good meal. But here's what I've also noticed. 
that regardless of how good or how big the meal is, we're always hungry again. We're always hungry again. We always, we always have to eat again. And in fact, that might be humanity's anthem song. Here I am, hungry again. I mean, we're, we get hungry for success, hungry for love, hungry for meaning, hungry for purpose, hungry for power, and we, we get hungry for food also. As John Steinbeck wrote, there is a capacity for appetite that a whole heaven and earth of cake can't satisfy. And he's right. He's right. There's something inside of each one of us that just has this incessant longing for, for more. And some of us, we deal with this by making peace with our lack. Like we'll, we'll go on about to accumulate things and that'll satisfy a little bit of the hunger and we'll sort of stave off the hunger pains that just are the residual of not having all that we long for but having something. And, and sometimes we'll just, we'll push them to the side long enough to just enjoy the life that we do have. But there's something that's driving each and every one of our souls. There's a hunger and a longing for more. And what if that hunger and that longing for more is actually designed to push us towards a completely different source of fulfilling that hunger than the ones that we normally turn to? What if the hunger is actually a signpost and a sign pointing us to a God who says, I have designed you and I long to satisfy you. That's what John chapter six is about. Jesus is going to become the wilderness chef. <laughs> But in doing so, he wants to paint a sign. He wants to paint a picture of the way that he intends to satisfy the deepest longings in our soul. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Today we're going to read the only miracle other than the resurrection that's recorded in all four gospel accounts. Do you think this is important? Yes, absolutely. Matthew and Mark tell us that the event that we're going to read today happened right after John the Baptist got beheaded by Herod Antipas. And I tell you that so that you can have that background and maybe the emotional state that Jesus is in and the disciples are in as we come to the scene that we're going to study today. Something significant, something heartbreaking, Something gut-wrenching has just happened, and there's just a sense of weariness that is residing in the souls of each one of the people who are in this story today. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Are you there? Wonderful. Here we go. It says this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd, everybody say large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing. So why are the people following Jesus? Because they see the signs that he's doing. They, they, they see the miracles that he's working, and they're like, we want some of that. Verse 3. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Quick time out. Why does John tell us that this is the time of Passover? It's an interesting question because other than that passing reference, he's not going to make a big deal out of the fact that this is, in fact, Passover. They don't go to Jerusalem. They're not celebrating this as a pilgrim feast this year. 
They're not gonna celebrate the Passover meal in this passage per se. So why does John mark the time in that way? I'm so glad you asked. If you've been with us over the last few months, you've heard me say many times that John is retelling our story as human beings and he's retelling Israel's story. He started his gospel, in the beginning was the word, as an echo back to the beginning of Genesis chapter one. And nowhere does it become more clear that he's retelling Israel's story than it does in this passage. Remember, Israel was led out of slavery in Egypt and they were led into the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that they were divinely fed by manna from heaven. Keep that in mind, because that story is going to repeat itself. John is telling us that we are experiencing and reading about a new exodus, a new freedom for the people of God. So lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. We've talked about the brilliance of Jesus's questions a few times over the last few weeks together, where he asks questions like, what are you seeking? And will you get me a drink? And do you want to get well? Here he asks another question, and it's the question that the entire story turns around. Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? And I don't know what kind of look he had on his face. I don't know if it was sort of pensive, like, Philip, where are we going to buy bread? Um, or if it was uh, stoic, where are we going to buy bread? Or, or if there was a, I'd like to think, that there was just a slight, sly smile, like, where where, where, where are we going to buy bread so that all these people can eat? And maybe like internally, he's urging Philip, remember the water turns to wine, Philip. Remember what I did. Where are we going to get enough bread? That is not just a question that the people in these story, this story had to answer. It's a question that every single one of us has to answer. Where are we going to get enough bread? Where are we going to get enough sustenance? Where are we going to get enough meaning? Where are we going to get enough love in order to fill the emptiness that resides in our soul? We are innately hungry beings. It's one of the reasons we obsess about food. It's also one of the reasons that we long for more of every good thing that we have. But if you've gotten that more, what you've recognized is hungry again. I'm eventually hungry again. As St. Augustine once wrote, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Or maybe we might say our stomachs are hungry until we are satisfied by you our God. And maybe you're here this morning to come to terms with that reality. Maybe you're here this morning to just have Jesus look directly at you and ask you the question, where are you going to find enough bread? Because that question, 
that Jesus asks, he is also the answer to. See, our ceaseless hunger can only be satisfied through divine abundance. Our ceaseless hunger can only be satisfied through divine abundance. And this is a story about going from empty to enough, about going from starving to satisfied, about going from famished to fulfilled. This is a story about a wilderness chef who brings a large group of people into the barren spot and he feeds them an abundant banquet that they didn't see coming. In this text, Jesus is not only the wilderness chef, but he is the good and gracious host. And throughout this story, he's gonna be inviting you and asking you, where are you going to find enough bread to be fully and completely satisfied. And let's dig into some of the details because in it we're going to see how we access this divine abundance that's present and available for us. But it's one thing to say that the divine abundance is there. It's a whole nother thing to say and here's how we step into it. So jump back with me to verse 1 and I just want to point out a few of the details that John wrote. He said this, after this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. On, he left Capernaum and he went to the other side, which was um, typically the side that Gentiles would have lived on. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Matthew, in his account of the same story, makes it a bit more clear what's going on. He wrote, and he said this, Now when Jesus heard this, and the this is that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew from there in a boat to a what? To a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So I want you to have that picture in your mind. They're out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere, in a desolate place. I want you to have that picture because it's pertinent to the way that we access divine abundance. The crowd leaves the city. The crowd leaves the space where Herod's bloody rule and reign is quite um, effective, quote unquote, if you will. They leave just like the Israelites left Egypt and they left Pharaoh and they journeyed with God into the wilderness. How many of you know that God does some of his best work in the wilderness? Can I get an amen? amen. I love the way that God said it through the prophet Hosea when he wrote about exile and why God brought the people of Israel into exile. He said, therefore, behold, I will, say it with me, church, allure her. There's, there's more. I will allure her and I will bring her into the wilderness and there I will speak tenderly. I love you. I've never left you. I won't forsake you. You may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I am your good shepherd and I'm still here. And sometimes it takes the quiet and desolation of the wilderness to hear the voice of God. And these people are willing to leave 
the, the empire of Herod, as it were, in order to follow Jesus into the wilderness. And in doing so, they paint a picture and give us an invitation of what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus. You've got to leave secular assumptions and societal norms in order to experience Jesus' plenty. And you can't just go along with the pack of everyone else and experience the feast of Jesus. Or we might say it like this, you can't stay with Herod's crowd and experience Jesus' feast. You've got to be willing to leave, and leaving is really hard, isn't it? But there has to be a leaving before there's a receiving. The story continues, lifting up his eyes. Then, in seeing the large crowd that was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? What's the right answer to that question? Nowhere. Where are we going to buy bread? Like, there's no Costco right around the corner in this day and age. You know that, right? In fact, there's not even a store that carried enough bread to feed this many people. 5,000 men, we're told. You add women and children into that also. Roughly 20,000 people. There was nowhere that they could go to buy that much bread at one time in one place. And it seems to me that this whole scene is setting the people up to come to the place where they realize and admit that their resources are completely insufficient to accomplish their needs. Jesus wants them to come to the place where they go, we can't do it. And he wants us to come to the same place. How do we access divine abundance? The first thing we do is we acknowledge our insufficiency. And this can be really hard for us, can't it? Because we believe if we work just a little bit harder and do just a little bit more, then we'll have enough. But maybe this story today is an invitation to believe, once again maybe, that you can't control him or her. That you can't work harder and change that situation. That you can't change their heart. And there's a paradoxical and immense freedom in admitting, I don't have it in me to accomplish everything that I need accomplished. Is anyone with me? There is freedom in going, God, there's nowhere to buy enough bread. See, Jesus wants his disciples to get there. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Does God test people? Well, evidently, he did here in order to move them forward, in order to get them to go to a next level of faith. And he did the exact same thing with the Israelites in the desert. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 2. And so you shall remember the whole way that your, the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger. Is that a word for anybody in here? God is letting you hunger. Letting you long. Letting you crave. Letting you desire. Why? Why? And he fed you with manna. He lets them hunger so he can meet their need. 
which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he says, I let you hunger so that you would know that your sustenance is not only based on the bread that you eat, but on the words that I speak. You need me more than you're ever going to be aware of, God is saying to the nation of Israel. And I think he's saying to us today that our emptiness is an invitation to be filled with divine abundance, hidden manna. But that can only happen when we admit, I don't have enough resources in and of myself to accomplish the needs that I have in front of me. That's a, um, that's a painful lesson that I am currently relearning. About six months ago, I, I started having trouble uh, sleeping and it was really sporadic. Um, and then it started to intensify a um, month or month and a half ago. And I was able to nail down the pattern. I mean, you're gonna go, Ryan, you're not that bright. Um, <laughs> so it finally hit me after three weeks in a row that I only have trouble sleeping on Saturday night. And, um, and I mean the kind of trouble sleeping where like, I'll go to bed early, like 9.30, 10 o'clock, and I'll just be restless and I'll look over at the clock and, and it'll be midnight and I'll start doing the math. Anybody been there? If I fall asleep right now, I'll get five hours of sleep. And then I'm like, fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep. Has that helped anyone? It's sort of like saying to somebody, calm down. Like it doesn't work, right? Fall asleep, fall asleep. And then an hour later, I'll look at the clock. It's 1 a.m. And I'll be like, I can, if I get, fall asleep now, I'll get four hours. I'm good on four hours. Fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep. And, and it just goes on and on like that. And maybe at some point I fall asleep and maybe I don't. And it happened three weeks in a row on Saturday night going into Sunday morning. And it's at that moment I went, I, I think this is spiritual attack. And there's not enough Tylenol PM <laughs> to solve that problem. And so I went to our elders at our last elder meeting and, and I told them what was going on. And I said, I'm just, I don't have the resources to fight this. Can you guys pray for me? They surrounded me and they prayed for me and, and our, some of our other pastors that preach also. Um, and then one of them said to me, uh, we'll be at your house at midnight on Saturday to pray for you. Just, we'll just be outside. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I, I didn't think he was serious. <laughs> Texted me last Saturday, we'll be there at midnight. And I'm like, oh, you're serious. <laughs> last night, I'm lying in bed. Went to bed at 10.30, midnight, staring at the ceiling. And I hear two cars pull up, park outside my house. They were there for a half hour praying for me. And it was that like, yeah, I mean, that's our elders, man. I mean, but that's also your pastor. Like I, I, I have no idea why. I can't seem to fall asleep, but I do know that I don't have the resources in and of myself to fight that. And you may have learned the same thing like through a health crisis, through, through a job search, through a child that wandered. You may have learned the same thing that eventually we can give our all and it's just not enough. 
But here's the beautiful thing, friends. Here's the beautiful thing. The sooner we stop thinking that we are the energetic operators of our life, and the sooner we rediscover that God is at work, the sooner we will be able to experience divine abundance in real ways. But it starts with saying, I don't have it. I don't have enough in and of myself. But it's interesting that, to me that Philip isn't willing to go there. Philip, Jesus says, where are we going to buy enough bread? And Philip says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Where are we going to get enough bread? Jesus winks, looks, slightly smiles. And, 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 and Philip busts out his TI-83 calculator. <laughs> where are we going to get enough bread? Well... Let's see, we got about 5,000 men. I guess we could feed the women and children too. And it's a Excel spreadsheet. If each of them get one bite, then it will cost us 200 denarii. And I wonder if Jesus just went, oh, Philip, come on. He calculated, but he calculated without Christ. Like there's been this movement in Major League Baseball where every decision you make, whether it's to bring a pitcher in or take a pitcher out or pinch hit somebody, every decision you make is based on the analytics. It's based on the stats. I hate that way of managing a baseball game. But a lot of us manage our, ba- our lives in the exact same way. We look at the resources that we have and we make decisions based on the resources that we have, but we never factor in Jesus. We do the exact same thing that Philip did. We think we can figure out what God wants to do in and through us based on the resources that we have in our hand, but we don't ever imagine what he might do if the resources were in his hands. Do I have enough money for this? Do I have enough energy for this? Do I have enough people? Do I have enough power? Do I have enough? I mean, here's what I think. Do the math, but do the math so that you know it's a miracle. Do the math so that you know it's a miracle. And what if God brings us to the end of ourself so that he can bring us to the beginning of himself? What if there's an invitation in the lack? And I think Philip fails this test But listen to what happens next. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Notice it's a different approach than Philip busting out his Excel spreadsheet, right? Andrew's like going and, hey, hey, do you have anything? No, okay, do you have any, any food? No, do you, do you have any food? No, no. Oh, Skippy, you've got, what, how much, what you got? You, you've got five loaves. Wow, that's a lot of loaves. And um, two fish, two little sardines. Okay, well, will you come with me to Jesus. And I mean, in a crowd of, let's just say, like 20,000 people, only one of them brought lunch? Like, what? And can't you just imagine, like, the scene in that boy's house while he was walking out the door, and his mom was like, don't forget your lunch. And he's like, it's Jesus. He always brings snacks, right? And she's like, I packed that lunch. We're not going to waste that food. You better take those five loaves that I baked for you and those two fish that your dad caught for you because that's your lunch. And if he doesn't bring snacks, what are you going to do? Hmm? Right? You know that look from your mom, right? And so mama makes him take the snacks and then 
Jesus hijacks him. I, I love this boy, right? Like, we don't know what his name is. He comes out of nowhere. We don't hear from him again, but he offers his lunch to Jesus. And so we're talking about his story today. I mean, imagine the joy of taking your minuscule offering and seeing it get multiplied in the hands of the master. I mean, what if that little boy had said to the stranger who came to him, lay your hands off my bread? What if he just snuck back into the crowd of a few thousand people and disappeared? What if he said, no, my mom said that I had to get my nutrients in because we've got a big day coming up tomorrow, right? But he doesn't, but he doesn't. And in resisting all those urges, he experiences the multiplication that only Jesus can bring. So one of the ways we enter into divine abundance is by admitting that we're insufficient. The second way is that we surrender our resources. We surrender our resources even when we don't think they're enough to make a difference. We hand them over. And I think so often we, we treat life like Philip. We assess what we think Jesus can do based on the resources that we have. But here's what we miss. Here's what we miss, you guys, that anything in the hands of the master gets multiplied. Dust becomes a human being. A staff thrown on the ground becomes a snake. A few smooth stones are used to fell a giant, a jawbone to take out a Philistine army, a jar of oil that never stops producing until the family's debt is paid for, a widow's flower that doesn't run out so she and her family are taken care of. Whatever hits the master's hands gets multiplied. So the question that I want you to wrestle with is not, do I have enough? The question is, will I hand over? over what I have. I don't have enough energy, bring what you have. I don't have enough intellect, bring what you have. I don't have enough money, bring what you have. I don't have enough time, bring what you have because what you place in the master's hands gets multiplied. But it only gets multiplied if it hits his hands. And it only hits his hands if it leaves yours. Let's just pause for a moment, though, and, and just recognize the, the role that Andrew plays in all this. Who knows how long he looked for somebody who had some resources. He's just going around, hey, you got anything? You got anything? You got anything? And I think a lot of times if we go, like, I don't know that I have anything to offer, we sort of just sit on our hands and go, well, we'll see what Jesus does. But here, here, Andrew's modeling for us what it looks like to help other people get in the game. Like how many of you have benefited from an Andrew in your life? Like somebody who came alongside and encouraged you. Take those resources and push them. Go all in with Jesus. Can I be an Andrew for you this morning? I just want to gently come alongside and challenge you to hand over what you have. Are you thinking about starting a business or a ministry or a nonprofit? Can I be an Andrew and say, bring what you have and see what God might do? Are you thinking about adopting or going into foster care, but you're going, I just don't know how it's going to all work out. Can I encourage you? Bring what you have and see what God might do. Are you feeling like you're running on empty and you have nothing to offer? Can I be an Andrew for you this morning and come alongside you and say, bring what you have and see what God may do. Your minuscule offering may be multiplied to bless the masses if you put it in the hands of the master. So this unnamed boy 
brings his lunch and he gives it to Jesus and listen to what happens next, verse 10. And Jesus says, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. And so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. And then Jesus took the loaves and when he'd given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they, what? As much as they wanted. Remember, remember, our ceaseless hunger can only be satisfied through divine abundance. I got the idea of abundance from this passage. They started off on empty and they ended with more than enough. And it's Jesus who distributes it. Um, In the other gospel accounts, we see Jesus giving it to his disciples who then take it to the people who are seated But there's a principle in here for us. We have to admit our insufficiency. We don't have enough on our own. We need to surrender our resources, but then we need to get in a posture where we open our hands and we receive what Jesus wants to pour out into our lives. And look at how this happens in this text. It happens first where they hear the voice of Jesus. He tells them to sit down. So they're able to hear him. Are you able to hear his voice? Have you cultivated an awareness of the voice of God through the practice of prayer? In the midst of all the chaos of our world, do you have those moments of the wilderness where you can actually hear his voice? But they don't just hear it. They don't just hear it. They obey it, right? He says, sit down in the grass, which must have seemed crazy. They're they're looking around like, sit down, why? What are you gonna do with... Five loaves and two fish. And then they're like, well, he, he said to do it, so I guess we'll do it. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And as they obey, their lives are opened up to receive the blessing of God. Now, now catch this, catch this. This is so important. Jesus didn't bless them because they were obedient. Their obedience allowed them to receive Jesus's blessing. He is good, period. He is good all the time, amen? Their obedience allowed them to receive the goodness that Jesus was pouring out. And obedience works the same way in our life too. It allows us to receive what Jesus is already pouring out. So how do they open their hands? They listen to his voice, they obey what he tells them to do. And then there's one more way, verse 12. When they'd, had, when they'd eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled how many? Twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. There's so much debate about why there's 12 baskets left. Is it representative of the tribe of 12 tribes of Israel? Is it just for those who were helping to serve the food? And I don't want to get too much into the symbolism, but I do want you to catch this today. Those who serve the food are never left out of the provision. It could have been easy for them to assume, well, yeah, sure, we just, we just lost our friend John the Baptist. We've gone to the other side of the lake to ditch all these people. Jesus, now you want to feed them and we're running on empty. We're grieving. And you're saying you want us to give more? And I think it would have been really easy for them to come to the point of maybe just being a little bit bitter 
or a little bit jaded? Or like you're just giving out, giving out, giving out, and maybe like, is there anything left for me? And the answer that Jesus gives in this passage is so clearly yes. There's always enough for you. There's always enough left for the people who are serving, for the people who are giving. There are leftovers. I think the challenge is for us to trust that we are seen and that we are never forgotten. How do we open our hands to Jesus? We trust, God, you see me. You see my heartache, you see my pain, you see my frustration, you see my emptiness, you see my lack, and there is hidden manna I believe that you want to pour into my life. They are never forgotten. And I think Jesus is telling us that there will always be enough for us. No, no. he's telling you that there will always be enough for you. The story ends. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is a, it's a sign, John tells us. It's actually the fourth sign that John has brought forth in his gospel. The first was turning water into wine. The second was the healing of the official son. The third was the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And the fourth is a banquet in the middle of absolutely nowhere. But remember, remember, signs are not the end unto themselves. They always point to something bigger that's to come. And I think, I think that's what the people in Jesus's original banquet missed. I think that's what they missed. They missed that it was a foretaste of the glory to come. See, they wanted Jesus to come and be their political king. They, they, they thought Jesus is doing a dump speech. Jesus is like, he's like the bread machine. He's like Bimbo, like always fresh and always ready and, and always there. And like, we want to make him king so that we can always eat and we can always have fresh bread. They want to poach Jesus for their own agenda rather than surrendering to him. And think about how crazy this is, you guys. They have followed Jesus into the wilderness. They have seen him turn five loaves and two fish into enough to feed the multitude multitudes, and then they have the audacity to turn to him and go, we have a wonderful plan for your life. (laughs) And as I was like, in my mind, condemning them, I just sensed like the spirit go, Ryan, you do the same thing. I bless, and then you tell me what I should do next. And being filled, being filled by Jesus should cause us to passionately follow, not to force our own agenda. They don't realize that this wilderness banquet is pointing to a kingdom that is not of this world. See, this sign takes place in the midst of Herod's empire. But Jesus doesn't intend to overthrow Herod yet. He intended to set up his kingdom in the same way that he sets up this banquet, in the middle of the chaos. You might even say that he prepares a table before them in the presence of their enemies. 
Oh, wait, 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 wait. He also, he also led them to green pastures. Wait, wait. He also fed them so much that they said, we shall not want. See, we've just experienced the glory and the goodness of the good shepherd leading his people. And the sign was pointing to the reality that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in that house, we will be satisfied eternally with the richest of fare. See, here's what they missed. Jesus had temporarily filled their empty bellies, but he wanted to eternally satisfy their soul. He wanted to be the bread that they were longing for, the ultimate bread that they needed. He wanted them to find their rest in him so that they could be satisfied. Here's the image that I wanna leave you with today. Every time we gather for worship, it's a portion of the meal that Jesus wants to serve. But I think it's the portion where where the servant or the waiter comes to your table and goes, all right, here's what's on the menu. Here's what's what's being served. But this isn't the banquet. This isn't the full meal. This might be like a mouche-bouche. This isn't even like the real appetizer. This isn't even the salad. This is where we get introduced to what God wants to do to satisfy our hunger, but it's not the place that he satisfies it. This is the place we come to get more hungry and he satisfies us in that secret place. He satisfies us when we encounter the living God face to face. And so here's my invitation for you, to you today. Will you let yourself hunger and will you trust that God will satisfy? Will you say, I'm insufficient? Will you say, here's my resources? And will you say, my hands are open to you? My prayer throughout this whole week has been, Lord, stir our hunger for you. Give us a a hunger for your scriptures where there isn't one. Give us a hunger for prayer, God, where we've grown cold. Give us a desire to serve where we've just thought that this is all about us. Lord, stir our hunger for more. He is the wilderness chef, friends. And he can turn your barrenness into a banquet. The question is, will you let him? Will you let him? Let me invite you to put your things away. And let me ask you the same question that Jesus asked. Where are you going to find enough bread? Enough meaning? Enough hope? Enough love? Where are you going to find enough? He asks you that question because he is the answer to it. So would you just ask the spirit of God to search you? Maybe ask him to 
stir a fresh hunger in you. A holy longing, a holy discontent. So good shepherd, here we are. In the midst of the chaos of our world, in the midst of all the confusion and all the different things that are going on both in our lives and our nation across the world, we believe that today, just like 2000 years ago, you are throwing a banquet in the middle of the wilderness. And we wanna receive from you, our divine chef. We believe that our ceaseless hunger can only be satisfied with your divine abundance. So would you come, Holy Spirit, come. Meet with us. Give us a taste of what you wanna do in our lives. Give us a vision for more. Give us a hunger, stir a hunger, a fresh hunger in us to see you do more abundantly than all that we could ask or think or dream or imagine. We can't do it on our own. So we'll bring our minuscule offering and put it in the hands of the master, trusting that you will multiply it. And then we'll open our hands and our hearts to receive what you want to bring into our life. Would you satisfy as only you can? Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.